Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 1030 a.m. in the Boise Friends Church Gymnasium, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption. Okay, so thank you for being here. If we haven't met before, my name is Robert Frazier, and I'm one of the elders here, and it's our joy to welcome you for not just our five-year celebration, but um, a little bit of commissioning for the next five years, preparation for what God is doing. Um, Five years ago, we launched here at Redemption Hill, but that was not the beginning of the story. Six, let's see, six years ago, seven years ago, seven years ago, I was happy. God was doing some great work. We were in Watertown, Massachusetts. We had launched a campus of a church, and it had been uh, a wonderful season of ministry, and Malia and I were very happy, um, with the exception of missing some of my brothers and sisters. Um, we, we were really happy living in Massachusetts, and uh, we, were also, um, we were also staying because we felt that God was preparing us to have a family and to be where he had called us to there in Watertown. And then one day, um, in a strange turn of events, God spoke really clearly and started to shape this vision and identity for launching a new church somewhere. We didn't know where at the point, but we were also, um, we, we were in the process of fertility treatments to have kids, and so we're like, well, we can't leave in the middle of that. And a, a miraculous, a miraculous pregnancy, a miraculous natural pregnancy that we had never had in 11 years of marriage happened, and God told us clearly we were free to leave where we were And that started us on this journey to Redemption Hill, to what happened. So we started calling some of you, um, some of our dear friends that we had been um, doing life with for many years. Some of you we we had trained as leaders. Some of you we had discipled as high school and college students. And we called up the old band and said, let's get together and pray and see what God might do. And over Zoom, actually, I don't even think Zoom existed. It was probably Skype. Let's let's just be clear. I think it was Skype and FaceTime. Um, We were hanging out from a distance, 3,000 miles away with friends in Portland and friends here in Boise. And we started to pray and see what God might do. And a year later, we moved back to Boise with two kids in tow, including our miraculous little Theodore, our gift from God. And uh, we had a season of prayer and fasting and formation that we didn't know could possibly be as painful as it was going to be. Um, We moved here in August, September, Theodore started having these terrible convulsive stomach issues and had to have an emergency stomach surgery less than a month after we moved back. The next week, Malia sat down with Amanda, Amanda told her some troubling symptoms, made her go to the doctor, and then she was diagnosed with cancer that same week. Two months later, Connor and... uh, Connor Golden, he started to have these symptoms that were inexplicable for a little four-year-old and would spend the next three years in and out of the hospital with serious, serious illness. 
And Ernie and Marge, who had been a part of our launch team as well, Ernie has a heart attack a month later. It was like everybody who joined us, it was a, I'm sorry if you said yes. Um, what a horrible, horrible, hard year. Some of, the, some of our team was dealing with depression. Uh, we had, we had a group of families come with us from First Baptist that helped us launch. And two of those families didn't even join us for launch day because their marriages had fallen apart in the six months since they had joined our team. It was this trial after trial after trial, spiritual battle after spiritual battle. Um, we, had, we had people come in and try to hijack the church with their, their little pet theological projects. We didn't have a, a location to meet in until less than a month before our launch date when Boise Friends finally opened up. And then we launched in the September 15th of 2017 and had this beautiful first service right here in this room. And it was a little less full than it was today with friends and well-wishers saying, hope this thing works out. And uh, then the next week, you know what happens after you launch a church? You've got to show up and do church every week. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. Uh, but God started to work in things, in ways that we didn't expect. Sure, there were struggles. Some weeks when the kids left, there was five of us left in the room. Um, we didn't have any money. We had a small team that was putting together things week in and week out. But then God started to shape and prepare us for what was to come. Little winds started to show up. We built uh, a new ministry we called Made for This and had 110 kids that first year at Mountain View Park join us. We partnered with Boise Friends, put on Indoor Park, and started to see families connect with us. We partnered with Wildlife and with Launchpad to reach middle school and high school students. We did Christmas extravaganzas and movie nights community campouts, women's and men's retreats. We had Aphesis course. We launched Wonder School. We have had a robust ministry of disciple making that's been happening over these last three years. There have been dozens of homes that have played host to what we now call our micro churches. And through it all, we have seen that God himself has shown up time and time again to be our provision. And we remember all of this to celebrate the great work that God has done among us, to remember what it costs for us to be obedient, to see how the work and the suffering has shaped us. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know that God's work in your life and the suffering that you have experienced has shaped you. That is why we exist. We don't exist to have a church. We don't exist to do Sunday mornings and to create an organization so that people show up. We exist because God has called us to him. And when we enter into his presence, we are transformed by the work that he does. Being with him, we cannot stay the same. I want to acknowledge that this is the work and the suffering and the winds that have shaped our friendships and the relationships we have, what God has done. We're a band of brothers and sisters because we've been in the trenches together. We have fought shoulder to shoulder the spiritual battles. We have gone into people's houses and laid hands on each other's kids and prayed for healing. We've been there in the hospital when the EKG came back and nobody knew what was going to happen. We have been there to battle together. We have seen things happen. Chapter 5 of Romans says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. 
and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Can I have an amen? God has been at work. All right, we're going to have some food and some cake to celebrate what's going to happen, but I want to look forward and ask, what is God doing in our community next? The answer is, we don't know. No matter what vision I show you or what, you know, maybe I create a nice little graphic showing you what the next five years is going to look like, that's nonsense. I don't know what's going to happen these next five years. Um, <laughs> my friend Melissa told Jesse that she had this vision that we just reached chapter 5 of the book of our story. And I was like, chapter 5 is when all of the hard things start happening. <laughs> Melissa, that's not, a, that's not a good vision, but I, I, I'm, I'm receiving it. We're, we're receiving what God might be doing there. But I think that God has been preparing us for what's next. And that we as a people have been prepared. And today is a day where we're going to celebrate and commission two people that God has entrusted to our community as gifts to prepare us for this next season. Commissioning is, uh, we, we have kind of two things that we do for the leaders of our church. One is we have elders that we ordain. These are people who are given authority over our community to lead us together. And there are three of us who are elders right now, um, Cindy Shively, Bob Hyatt, and myself. And we are ordained elders. It means that we meet the qualifications of what God has called us to. We have been shaped in the way of Jesus enough that we can show people a little bit of how to do it. And we can be guardians that look at the, look at the scripture and can keep us accountable to what it says. But there's also different roles that God gives us here in the church. In Ephesians 4, it says this. Uh, Paul's kind of setting the stage to tell them how he how he wants them to organize themselves. It says this, Therefore, I, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. We're going to stop there. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. This is the bedrock of our community. The grace that we have for one another and the messy brokenness that we live within, this is what holds us together. And this is the reason why God gives us these gifts. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. Okay? The purpose of what's going to come next is to unite us in Christ. However, verse 7, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. In verse 11, he lays it out. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gives to the church. The gifts are these people. He gives apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. My friend Peyton Jones, he likes to say that this is the five-fold fist that punches into the world. 
the, uh, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, we were meant to work as a group together to lead the church because we have different roles and different responsibilities. Now, God gives us these people who are the gifts to the church that he has specifically set aside for them. The apostle is the one who's saying, what's next? What's the next hill we're going to go to? How, it's the entrepreneurial leaders who are always asking, how do we get out there and do more? The prophet is the one who's saying, hey, why aren't we praying enough? <laughs> hey, why aren't we listening to God enough? Hey, is that true to who we are? They're, they're the ones who are listening and speaking prophetically to keep us on track. The evangelist is always asking, who's not in the room yet? They're the ones looking around going, my friends aren't here. We've got to figure out a way to get them here. Let's go to them. Let's be on mission with them. The shepherd is the one who's always caring and loving and nurturing the flock. They're the ones who are looking around and say, who's left behind? As, as the apostles moving forward, the shepherd's looking back and saying, who have we left behind? And the teacher is the one who's saying, let's make sure that people are formed in the way so that we're not just creating a crowd, but we're creating a movement of Jesus' followers. So God gives us these five gifts for the church. Most of the time, we have one person with one or two gifts who does everything. And we expect them to be all of those things, but that's not the way that God called us to lead. That's why we have three elders and why we have a group of what we call pastors. Pastor is not a title in the Bible. It's actually one of these gifts that we've just like, we call everybody pastor for some dumb reason. Um, but we, we, we commission people as pastors to be these roles in our church to help us fill out what God has called us to. Now let me say this. Everybody in our church is called to ministry. Every single one of you probably has one of these gifts that needs to come to life, and God wants to use these gifts in your micro church. And as you grow up in the way of Jesus, they're going to become in their fullness what they're meant to be. Some of you are really immature apostles, and you're just going, hey, I want what's next because I don't want to look back. You don't have to raise your hand. I know who you are. Uh, you, you're, like, you just haven't, you haven't realized that what's next is what God's calling you to, not just to get away from what happened before. Some of you are immature prophets, and you just complain about everything, and you don't actually know how to listen to God's voice, but someday you're going to learn to listen to God's voice, and then you're going to be an invaluable part of leading your microchurch or our community. Some of you are evangelists, and it looks like enthusiasm now, but when it comes, when it comes to maturity, what happens is you start just, you, your heart is aching for the world around you, and you can't stop but share your faith. Some of you are pastors, and you, you care for people in a way that's uh, maybe, like you're immature in your pastoral gifts, so it's more enabling. And when you get mature as a pastor, what happens is you start to empower, and you start to lift people up and challenge them and bring them along with you. And some of you are teachers, and you don't realize it yet, but you have this passion for God's Word, and you need to let it be stoked. And so we want to see all of you be commissioned because we think all of you have these gifts as they come to fruition. Um, in verse 14, it says this, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to kick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is the calling of the pastor, to grow us up, to help us to grow into the way of Christ, because that's where our unity comes from. 
We're not united by some theological principles. We're united by growing in the way of Jesus. And as we get closer to Jesus, we get closer to one another. And so the best thing you can do for our community is grow up, okay? Not my kids. You guys stay little. But the rest of you, grow up. Become what you're meant to be. We're, we're missing out on the gifts God has given you because you're messing around. God wants to bring those to life in our community. And there's two people God has called to be a specific role. And that these Ephesians 5, these Ephesians 4 roles, the five roles, it says that they are to be, they're given to the church to equip, to train, and to build up the church. And so Andrew and Jesse are going to be pastors, and they're not here to do work for you. They're not your servants. They're not here to do the setup just because you won't. Now they'll do it because they're servants and they're grown up and they're leaders and they will do what needs to happen. But the role of the pastor is to train and build up the church. And so Jesse and Andrew, as you step into this commissioning, that's what we're calling you to. Not to do the work in the ministry, but to train and build up. When we look at Paul and Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul tells Timothy, everything you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses Take those things and entrust them to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. That's your call, is to take all the things that have been entrusted to you. Years and years of ministry training. Years and years and tens of thousands of dollars of fuller tuition checks that you guys are going to be spending these next couple years. And you're supposed to take them and spend them. Sorry, Sam. Didn't need to bring the, need, mean to bring that up. <laughs> that is your call. Why have we chosen these two to step in? Well, a couple of things. First, they each have a proven track record of growing in the way of Jesus. They are becoming more like Christ. Second, they each have a clear calling to this vocational ministry, the work of building up the church. Third, they have a track record of making disciples. Now, lots of times we, we uh, take people who are just doing work in the church and we say, you're a pastor because you're doing a job. A pastor and a leader makes disciples. They teach people the way of Jesus who can teach others also. Andrew and Jesse have both done that. Um, they're willing to work for very little money. So that was a really important qualification. <laughs> they both have a lot of character and competency. They can do the work and they do it in the right way. And... They care about doing it the way that God wants them to. Neither of them are new believers, which is not something you're supposed to do, is to commission somebody who's a new believer. Um, and they have clear gifting in the five-fold gifts that we want to see come to life in our community. So we recognize the work that God has done in preparing them. And what we're going to do as elders and as, uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to invite some of you forward to pray who have been ordained um, to pray over them. We're going to pray over them, and by laying hands on them, we're going to give them the authority that the apostles have handed down generation after generation after generation to lead, to bind, and to loose. To lead in teaching people the way of Jesus, to give away forgiveness from God through proclamation of the gospel, and by telling the world God's way. That is our work and our, our, our calling as followers of Jesus. And because of this authority that's handed to them, they're held to a higher standard by God and probably by us, but 
they really, what they really need is not to be just held to a higher standard and us to point our finger at them. They need to be held to a higher standard because we're standing underneath them and holding them up and helping them become the thing that they need to for their work. We need to hold up they and their families that need support and prayer and protection as targets of darkness. So first I want to bring up, let's see, we'll start with Andrew. Andrew, come on up. This is Andrew Green. Yeah, platform. He's from Florida. It's okay. It's okay. It's not California. You're fine. Um, he moved to Idaho as a young adult. He's worked in ministry, in youth, family, and leadership at a handful of churches over the last 10 years. 10 years. Um, we've known each other for, I think, eight or so years. Um, and I've seen his growth and maturity over that time. Um, we've asked him here to come share a little bit of his story, and then we'll invite Jesse up. A um, couple things I love about Andrew. First is that he's a leader who, he's got a passion for the least and for justice. He looks at the world around him. He sees the broken systems that have created inequalities and created suffering. And one way that he has chosen to launch into that world is he created a nonprofit called Ruja in Uganda that they partner with to send kids to school and create safe places for them to live. It's a powerful ministry. It's a, it's a sense of what he does and what he, what he cares about. And, and secondly, one of the things I love about Andrew is that he loves kids and he loves youth. And he wants to pour out his life for the next generation, which is really important to us. So give it for Andrew, and you got 10 minutes or until the kids start crying. I think I already hear somebody crying, so. Well, thank you guys. Um, I've said this before up here, but I'm really so honored to be a part of this community. I'm so grateful. It's been very clear to me over the last few months that I'm here because God wants me here. I'm part of this community now because God has brought me here. I, I've wanted to be a part of a microchurch space for a long time, uh, but for whatever reason, my own stubbornness or God's will, I haven't been able to enter this space, and he's taken me on a whole nother journey. Uh, that's ultimately just made me very, very grateful for this moment, even to see kids coloring and just to see the family that happens here. Um, so real quick, I just want to share a little bit of my story. I grew up in church. Uh, three times a week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, if any of you guys know anything about that sort of rhythm. Um, but fast forward to when I was 21, I was going to a Christian liberal arts private college, and somehow throughout that whole process, I had missed the beauty of the gospel. And it was just very rules-oriented, um, this transactional thing. The gospel was very transactional for a way for me to get out of going to hell. Um, and so there was no beauty, and it was very black and white. And I remember one night in my dorm room, I was reading through a little booklet that my dorm supervisor had handed me. And for the first time, what Jesus did and what the gospel is came alive to me for the first time. It was like a, a scene from Looney Tunes when the light bulb pops over the character's head, you know, and everything just comes alive. It felt like everything that was black and white all of a sudden was filled with color. And I remember talking to my friends and granted, these are like other people at this Christian Bible college. And I'm like, do you get the gospel? Do you get how beautiful it is what Jesus has done for us? And they were like, yeah, dude, we get it. We're all here at a Christian college. But I remember watching over time 
one of my best friend actually coming to me a few months later and saying, I get it. Like, I actually get how good this is. And this idea that there's nothing that I can do to earn God's favor or approval. It's just a free gift. And I think, for me, that's something that's so beautiful. And when I think about what I want for students, I want students to know that. I want them to know the beauty of Jesus and what he's done for us, the true beauty of the gospel. Fast forward a few months, and I end up going through this, like, really, really hard process in my life. What, for, for a college student, what felt like terribly traumatic. I was playing football. I tore my ACL, and my, it was a really bad knee injury, and my career was over. My girlfriend broke up with me. Tragic. Everybody says, oh, right? It's, like, really sad. Yeah. And so I was going through this, like, really, really rough patch of life, and I had this gospel experience. And all this, I was an applied science major, and God sort of redirected my thoughts to like, well, if I'm not these things that I thought I was, if I'm not just an athlete, what am I? And so I started thinking about ministry. I took an internship at a church in Oregon, and then not long later after I graduated, moved to Boise to take a job at a church in Garden City. I was there for a couple years, and as Robert mentioned, I ended up taking a trip to Uganda. I just became overwhelmed with this reality that even though I was working at a church and I was teaching at a Christian school part-time, I wasn't really following Jesus. Like, I was doing all these Christian things, but I was missing out on following Jesus. And I think one of the keys that made me realize that was I looked at the people who Jesus was close to, the people who he spent his life for, and I was not around anybody like that. Like, everybody who I was spending my time with was just like me. And so, Long story short, I ended up buying a plane ticket to Uganda. Um, it was like 50% foolishness, 50%, you know, just following what God wanted me to do. And ended up spending a, couple, or a month there, came back, started a nonprofit, and uh, actually quit my job at the church. I was very cynical towards the church at the time and just wanted to see the kingdom of God um, take root. And so started this nonprofit and really spent the last eight years of my life learning um, from these people in Uganda who have a kind of faith that I long for. People, like, you read about the book of Acts, right? And you, you see the things that happen and see the things that God does. But I watched these people in Uganda actually start to live this out and live by a faith that I had only read about in the book of Acts. Um, and that all came from this journey to just really understand what it means to follow Jesus. That, that's been like a burning passion of mine. Those two words, follow Jesus. What does that mean? And again, for our students and for our community, that's something that I really long for our students to know, and for all of us to know, not just students. What does it mean to actually follow Jesus? I think growing up, I had this, like, I, had, I thought I had two options. Like, I could be a good kid and go to church and follow the rules and do what mom and dad told me to do, or I could just rebel. And to be honest, I saw both of those, I saw other people follow both of those paths, and I didn't really think either of them were that great. Like, I want our students to know that there's a third option, which is following Jesus, which is full of beauty and adventure and risk and so much joy. It's living in the way that we were called to live. I want each child and each student here to know what that looks like, not to just hear what it is, like hear a guy stand up here and talk about it on a Sunday morning, but to actually see us as a community 
follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And I think for me that means proximity to the poor and marginalized. That's a huge one for me. All the experiences that I've had that really stand out to me about when God's moved in my life, when I've really felt the presence of God like we talk about in church so often, it hasn't been in like big production worship services. It hasn't been in official church buildings. It's been in places where God has always moved among the poor and marginalized, the places that you would least expect it. And so part of my vision for hopefully my role in the church as a whole and specifically in the youth is to get students in those spaces to where not just they learn facts about God and learn, you know, orthodox doctrine, but to experience God in ways that they cannot shake. Because I'll be honest, you know, like this church, I've had hard experiences in life. I've, I've been burned by church. I've had all these things happen to me. And the thing that has anchored me most to the faith is my personal experience with Jesus and some of those moments where I've experienced God amongst the poor and marginalized, where I, no matter what happens to me, no matter what I've, ex I've experienced, I cannot shake those moments where I know God was moving and God was present. And I so, so deeply long for that, that for our students. I think that ultimately traditional youth ministry is not going to accomplish what we're setting out to accomplish here. There are no amount of pizza parties, whether it's Little Caesars or Pizza Hut, that can teach students what it means to follow Jesus. It takes more than that. And it also takes more than just one guy. Like, and I, one thing I love about this community is I think you know this and embrace this, but I cannot be the primary discipler of all the students here in this church, right? It is a community effort. The amount of time that I'm going to spend with your students compared to the amount of time that you're going to spend with your students, there's a huge gap. And so I, I don't want to just create this very program-heavy event-oriented event thing where students come and hang out and have a good time and then graduate still clueless as to what it means to follow Jesus. I want to equip students, but I also want to equip you as parents. I want to walk alongside you. I want to help equip microchurches to know what it means to, as a community, to walk alongside students and teach them the way of Jesus. I want to learn it alongside of them, all of us together. So I'm excited. I'm excited to do this with you. Um, I honestly wouldn't be anywhere else. When it comes to church ministry, this is the place that God has me because I, I know the old way doesn't work and I'm excited for the opportunity to experiment and to walk alongside your students and focus on real discipleship and see what God has for us. So thank you so much. Uh, so excited to be here. And yeah. All right. We'll pray for you here in a second. You know, this next one is a little, it's a little weird. Um, Jesse, come on up. This is my, uh, it's my little sister, Jesse. And to say to our community that she has been entrusted with authority as a pastor is weird, but awesome. Um, she's going to share her strange journey, but what I want to say is that I think this room is full of people who 
They've seen a clear calling in your life that's been confirmed across the board by all who have experienced your leadership in our community. I don't think there's anybody here who's wondering, maybe Mike, but everybody else thinks it's for sure that you should be a pastor of our community. You, um, yeah, what do you say? Jesse's been leading our disciple making for the women in our community for the last two years. And there's a handful of women who their lives have been transformed because they're spending every, mon every other Monday night with you. And there's a whole bunch of people who are drawn to what's happening at Wonder School because they experience God's love and the joy that Andrew was describing when they're in your community. And you have, you know, you're probably a better teacher and discipler maker than I am, and you're probably a better leader and pastor too. So I'm, I'm actually really happy that she's joining our team because we, we just got a big upgrade with Jessie. She's been directing our Wonder School. She finally joined our church this summer, so we're like, hey, let's throw her in. And so, Jesse, share your story. I'm sure everyone's worried about this nepotism. She'll just always agree with him. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll never agree with Robert. <laughs> You're in safe hands. <laughs> um, this room is full of people I love, from my parents who first met me, to new friends at Wonder School. 36 years of your love and friendship has formed me, and Jesus has formed me, and however much I wrestle with doubt or fear about taking this role, seeing you here feels like, well, we're among friends, so thanks for being here. Um, Obviously, this is just a long, expensive joke to get you to say, uh, hello, Pastor Horny, because <laughs> it's worth every check to Fuller, if you ask me, Sam. But I'm actually not the first Pastor Horny. Sam and I both come from families of pastors. Our dad was a pastor. My brother's a pastor. Both of Sam's grandparents were pastors. So we have been raised by people who have given their life to the body. And... That also means that we're wildly aware of what we're stepping into as a family. This, I'm not that young. I'm, I'm not like stars in my eyes. I've been hurt by the church from a little girl to now. And this is such a leap of faith for both of us to trust that being a part of a body in this way can be done with grace and with humility and with passion in a way that won't destroy our families or destroy you and that God's bride will be made new again. So I want you to know that I'm coming into this with my eyes wide open, knowing that there will be hurt, but really trusting that what we're doing here together we can do in friendship and in love. Um, I've walked with Jesus a long time, but there came a point in my life a few years ago where I realized that, like Robert talked about character and competency, those are discipleship words that we use a lot, and I realized that my competency was high. I am a good speaker, I'm a good communicator, I was writing a lot, some of you used to read my blog, and I just had a lot of people listening to me, but my character was low, and there was just like old sin in my life that I did not know how to let go of.
I didn't know how to be transformed. And um, along came my very, oh, nope, got so much mascara on. My very dear friend, Anna, who at our church, Crossroads in Nampa, where Sam and I went for 14 years, she saw something in me and called it out as good and offered to disciple me. So Anna, for years, has poured into me and said, you are worth learning the way of Jesus. Let's do it together. So she came alongside me and said, yes, I recognize your competency. Now let's see what God has to say to you about lies you've been believing and new truths that he has. And through that process of discipleship, I started to feel these stirrings about what I was doing with my life. I have a writing degree. I didn't know what that meant. I was home with my three kids. When we were little girls, my sisters and I would always say, we are never marrying a pastor. <laughs> what a nightmare. And <laughs> God has really flipped that script for me. In the middle of that kind of crisis, uh, my friend Marie, who's also here today, gave me a gift. It was a necklace that um, had some meaning behind it, and the verses that the necklace represented were in Romans. The verse in Romans, it says, um, how can the people believe what they haven't heard, and how can they hear if we don't preach, and how can we preach if we're not sent? And it was such a clear turning point in my life that was years ago, and, and the name of the necklace was Storyteller. And it was just this, like, God saying to me, you are my storyteller, and I want you to go and tell stories. I didn't really know what that meant, but I took it very seriously. And then, guys, I know I tell you, we're, we're not like a big charismatic community, but sometimes, you know, God comes to us in dreams and visions, and he came to me in this dream, and I really debated telling you about it today, but I'm going to. I had three dreams, three nights in a row when I was wrestling through what I was supposed to do with my life. And the first night, I dreamt that I was at my house, and we were having a big party. I'm sure Sam wasn't there. <laughs> or he was hiding in a corner. And I went outside, and it was night. And up in the sky, there was the most incredible meteor shower. And these meteors were just pouring across the sky like nothing I'd ever seen before. And my first instinct in the dream was to run back inside the party and to bring everybody outside and say, you have to see this. Also in the dream, there was a black hole. The meteors were flying across the sky, but they were being swallowed up by this black hole. And then I woke up. And I sensed in my spirit that it was not a normal dream. There was just such a feeling of like the visceral Holy Spirit to it, but I don't normally dream prophetically, so I didn't know what to do. And then the next two nights, I had more dreams that were pointing to something, but I didn't know what. So I was just wrestling with all these things that were coming together at once. And then a few months later, we were in a worship service and God revealed the truth of that dream to me. And it's really what's put me here today. And he said, Jesse, you are someone who sees the wonder in life. And I know this sounds cheesy because I run a preschool called Wonder School, but that was from Jesus. 
He said, you see wonder, and you see wonder in my people, and you love people in a way that I gave you. You did not conjure that up. That's not just a personality trait. That's a gift that I've given you, and I want you to be someone who tells people about what I've done and uses your sense of wonder and love to point them to what really matters, which is me. I had spent a lot of my life wanting to make people like me. And to be honest, I'm pretty good at it. And that was this line in the sand when God said, I don't want you to use what I gave you to make people like you anymore. I want you to use what I gave you to draw people to me. Because Jesse can't change anybody. She can't make anything better. But Jesus can change everything. And he has in my life. So I'm very passionate about discipleship because of how Anna has led me. I'm looking around this room and it's like, Anna was discipled, Anna discipled me, I've discipled some of you, now you're discipling others. And like the thing that Jesus called us to, we're really doing. And that is beautiful. And that is such a big part of what I wanna be doing at Redemption Hill, is discipling you so that you can disciple others and show them the wonder that is the love of God. Sometimes church is really hard. Sam and I have been on a long journey trying to figure out what we're even doing with church. Standing up here today is the end of so many prayers and miracles for so many reasons. But I want to tell you that no matter how hard church is, or like I told Anna when I felt called to pastoring, I don't even like Christians. <laughs> what am I doing here? Thanks. The thing that we just can't get away from is Jesus. And one thing that I never stop being amazed by is how Jesus treated women. People say the Bible's old-fashioned or that it, you know, and it is, it's complicated. There's a lot happening here, but the way that Jesus treated women and interacted with women draws me back again and again and again. And I'm going to read you this, just a tiny snippet Jesus is um, by the temple, and he's sitting near the collection box, and he's watched as the crowds dropped in their money, and many rich people put in large amounts. What a funny thing to do. There's a big collection box, and you get to let people know, clink, 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 how many coins you're putting in. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. They gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Out of her poverty, she has given it all. I feel the poverty of my spirit over and over and over again. My past shouts at me. Things, my regrets shout at me. My, my relationships that are hard shout at me. And it's so hard to quiet the voice sometimes. But I just want to stand before you and say that not out of the surplus of who I think I am, but out of the poverty of my life, I commit to giving everything for the sake of my Savior and for the sake of this body that I've been called to at this moment. 
So here's my two coins. Here's my life and my love. And I'm not talking about not just talking about my wonder school money. This is like Idaho power money we're talking about. <laughs> this is the riches of what God has given me and the riches of what I feel so called to give back to you. You just stay up here. I'm going to invite um, our el or your families. Have, have the Greens come forward and the Hornies come forward together. And we're going to be praying for you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, it says, this is, this is the commissioning from Peter. He says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you're going to get out of it, but what, because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Paul, writing to Christians in Rome, he says, For as one body we have many members, not all members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. So people of God, Christ invites each of us to faithful discipleship and service. We're all called to different ministries as we seek to live God's love. As we commission these people today, will you with them, as disciples, as disciples of Christ, renew your commitment to the loving service of God of one another and all people? Thank you. These people have been called to the work of pastors and disciple makers in this community. Will you, as the people of God here in this place, support and pray for them in their ministry? Okay. All right. Andrew and Jesse, do you believe that God has called you to this ministry? Will you, as long as you're engaged in this work, seek to perform it prayerfully and in a spirit of mutual respect and collaboration with those you lead in ministry in this place? Will you seek to develop the faith, gifts, and skills that God's given you as you share in Christ's mission and ministry? All right. As elders in this community, we commission you as pastors in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May God grant you grace, wisdom, and joy as you live out this calling. Amen? All right. Now I want to invite our elders and any of you who have been ordained or commissioned as pastors or as elders in other places even, come forward. We're going to lay hands on these two. Come on forward. We've got a few of them. All right. And I'm just going to hand the microphone down as we go. Bob, do you want to start? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the journey that you've had these newly commissioned servants of yours on. Thank you for the things that you have brought them through and the things that you have brought them to, the ways that you have used them. God, we look forward to seeing how their gifts 
will impact not just this community, but your kingdom. God, we pray for Andrew. We pray for Jesse. We pray for their families, that you would give them the grace that they need as they do their best to serve you by serving this community. God, would you bless them as they lead, as they serve, as they teach. God, may their time spent in service of your kingdom be fruitful. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and faithfulness to Andrew and Jesse and their families. And, and Lord, we just ask, as we read scriptures earlier, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit continually on them, filling them with your love, drawing them to yourself, that they would know more than anything how deeply they are loved and wanted and desired and and also gifted and equipped to continue to pour out your love to others. We pray that you would guard and protect their family relationships, just strengthen their marriages, uh, that together they could serve you and, and love you and, and, and their children as well, Lord. Just thank you for, that, for the gifts that they are to this body and, and help us to love and serve them. And we thank you ahead of time for all that you're gonna do in them and through them and around them and in and through and around all of us as we seek you together, seeking to, to live for you, to follow you all the days of our lives and making a difference in your community here. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Father, we've watched as you've set aside Jesse and Andrew. For me, it's been especially Jesse for this work and this ministry, and you have given them all that they need to accomplish what you've called them to do. Thank you that they have the authority to act in your name and to speak on your behalf in ways that many others, most others don't. Give us ears to hear when you speak through them. Protect them. You've called them to a ministry that has great danger and heartache and difficulty, and we entrust them into your care. In Jesus' name, we bless them, and we thank you for them, and we pray as they serve us that we will constantly be in mind that they belong to you, and they serve you by serving us. Show us ways to encourage them and to support them and to be a blessing to them, and we trust that you will place on their lives as the years go by, people who can speak on your behalf to them, because ministry is terribly distracting. Thank you for them, Father, and thank you that we see what you have done and look forward to seeing more and blessing you for your goodness and blessing us with them. Lord, I thank you um, for Redemption Hill. Lord, being a, a church that gets to interact with this body so often, I see your heart, I see your love, not only for one another, but for um, the community and beyond. 
Lord, I just pray that, yes, uh, may the ministry be, happen here at Redemption Hill, but may you continue to reach out to the community and the world around, Lord, whether it be through huddles or small groups or what, Wonder School or through Made for This or whatever new thing you have to birth within them. Jesus, may that be, may that be, Lord. This isn't um, just the end of five years. This is the beginning of many years ahead. So thank you, Lord, for Jesse, their families, her family. Thank you for Andrew and his family. May your favor, may your anointing, may your blessing be upon them. And Lord, may it be upon us as we go out and be you to the world and uh, disciple others in your name, Jesus. We just thank you. Uh, Lord God, these two people are gifts that you've entrusted to our community. We pray for their blessing. We pray that you would be with their family as the evil one tries to steal and kill and destroy. We pray that you would bring life and abundance so that it would flow out of them into the world around them. We pray that instead of wringing themselves out for the kingdom, that they would overflow with your kingdom's presence and that other people would experience you through their loving kindness. Lord God, we've seen the way that you have also prepared Sam and Marianne to be a part of this ministry. We pray that you would continue to let them step into their callings as they work alongside Jesse and Andrew. And Lord God, we pray that many years from now we could look back and say, Look at the great things God did because we stepped in to this calling that you'd given Andrew and Jesse. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at redemptionboise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.